Welcome to my first ever podcast. My life on the small holding, warts and all. We came here about 12 years ago after really a journey of discovery about food, um, which is actually quite complex, but the basics of it are I had to read all the labels on everything and I began to think, what the heck is in this stuff? Um, whatever it is, I don't like it. So began our my journey into better food. Um, we lived in a town at the time, uh, but I'd always been brought up um, close to the countryside. My, my, my father was very rural-based, um, did a lots of old rural crafts, and uh, like thatching and stonewalling, hedge laying, uh, hunting, all that kind of thing. So um, when I moved to the town <clears throat> when I was mid-teens, it was slightly alien to me, but I stayed there until well into my th- 30s, 40s, something like that. Um, married, brought up children and everything, but always with the mindset that my food needed to be decent food um it was quite a shock when I first got married I never I had actually shopped in a supermarket before I got married because we were used to buying our food well from the local butchers the greengrocers um places like that and you know food very often came straight from the countryside we we always as kids we used to have pheasants hanging up in the in the shed and the christmas turkey usually came home dead but fully feathered uh, for mum to pluck in the kitchen so as i got older I, I really wanted to be able to grow lots of our most of our own food if possible and raise our own meat so eventually we managed to get this little place in Oxfordshire um, about 12, as I said, about 12 years ago we moved here and um, it's been a breeze ever since and that is a lie because (laughs) small holding life is hard. It's hard and very rewarding but quite hard and people often say to me, you know, oh, this is wonderful, it's idyllic, I'd love something like this. Yes, because you've wandered up the drive on a beautiful sunny day to buy eggs and veg. Of course it's going to look idyllic. Come back in the winter when we are knee-deep in mud and shit. And it's pissing down every day. It's bloody freezing. And you still have to go out and do the animals day in, day out. Even Christmas Day, you don't get a lay-in on your birthday. Every day you have to be out there doing the animals whether it's idyllic or not <laughs> and that's the truth of the matter look it is the truth it's it's the way it is but we love it we love it and it's a it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle that we chose and at times we wondered why the heck we'd chosen it because <laughs> there are times when you just really want to pack up and go back to the town. Let me take me home. I want to go back to the town <laughs> where everything is a lot 
easier, I suppose. It is easier. But we've carried on. We've carried on and um, the kids have now left home and there's just the two of us here. So I uh, currently am growing far more veg than we can possibly eat. Um, at one point, we had two big chest freezers uh, full of homegrown produce or produce that come from other smallholders. And this year we finally realised that we don't need all this stuff. Um, and so we've downsized to just one chest freezer. And that will mean that we have to uh, eat, pick what, pick it fresh, eat it that day. If we don't eat it that day, I either sell it from the little shed at the front of the house or the family will have it or something like that. It's, uh, but this year, definitely, we will be freezing and processing a lot less than we normally do. Through the years, we have had various animals here, uh, pigs, sheep. We shared a cow with a friend who's got a small holding about four miles away. <clears throat> um, they kept the cow at their place, luckily for us, because I'm a bit terrified of cows, I have to say. Um, even when it was a calf and I went over to see it and I thought, no, that, that bone on their forehead... Looks like that is going to do some massive damage if it headbutts you. So I was quite glad that they had they had the uh, the cow at their place, but um, we, we paid half the costs of raising it and having it slaughtered and everything, and that was fine. Uh, we have chickens, ducks, geese, quail. We have uh, those are the sort of the small holding animals, and then we have uh, for pleasure, if you call it that, dogs. Um, horses, guinea pigs, a rabbit. Oh, and we do have Ted the turkey as well. He doesn't obviously produce anything, doesn't give anything towards a small holding except for entertainment value to anybody that happens to come here. We also have cats. Cats always needed on the small holding, keep the mice down, especially if you've got chickens, because if you've got chickens, you've got feed, you've got feed that's on the floor, and then you get rodents of various types. So we do have cats as well. We all live in perfect harmony together. No, that's a lie as well. I found over the years that it doesn't matter how lovely you make a house or a, a nest or a, a stable or a field for an animal. It wants to be over the other side of that field or fence usually or it wants to scratch everything out or... Make it as dirty as possible. You give them clean water every day and they prefer to drink from a dirty puddle that they found. Uh, you give them food in a nice bowl. We've, we've had the pretty bowls, you know, you put the pretty bowls out and uh, they scratch the food all over the floor. They literally tip the... So you might as well just throw it on the floor anyway because they don't care, basically, what, what it comes in. They don't care what they live in. They have their own ideas of what is a perfect life and it's not the same as what humans think is a perfect life for them that's a fact so what else do I do I grow as I said a lot of vegetables a lot of vegetables and fruit and even nuts we've even got our own what I call it a nuttery I don't think it's technically a nuttery it's a, a row 
of hazel trees, very mature hazel trees, and I think there are, I'm looking at them now, there's probably about 12 or 13 that, that sweep in an arch around. Um, we've actually got some more, but we keep those cut low because otherwise they take away all the light from my greenhouse, which is another important factor because I grow everything from seed, or most things from seed. So I start off early in the, in the year sowing everything from seed, planting it out, usually watching everything and anything that nature has got, eat it or break it or <laughs> destroy it or somehow. <laughs> it's not quite that bad, but sometimes it feels as though the whole world is against you when you're growing your own veg. Uh, any, any kind of aphid in the area will, you know, zoom in. Ah, there's a nice patch of, you know, broad beans there. Come on, black thigh, let's dive bomb those and eat our way through. Well, they don't eat the way, they just make a heck of a mess. But everything and anything feels like it's, uh, it's attacking you quite on a regular basis, really. So that was a quick introduction as to who and what or what and who we are. I didn't really actually go into massive amount of detail. Um, we've got five acres here. We're in rural Oxfordshire. Um, Oxfordshire is where I have lived all my life. Um, I've never lived any further than six miles from where I am now. Um, and I love Oxfordshire, I love it. And uh, that's where we are. Why, why do, why do we do this? That's a very good question. A question that I ask myself all the time. <laughs> Especially when things go wrong, when things get hard, um, when things don't go the right way. Why, why am I doing this? Why? Because, you, you put your heart and soul into small holding life, really. Um, John works daily as a plumber, has the weekends off, and so it's, it's me here most of the time on my own. Uh, he, you know, obviously he's here at the weekends and that, and we do all the... He does a lot of the, the big, the physical jobs that I can't manage. But the day-to-day -day stuff is all down to me, and certainly the processing of the food you know, as well as growing it. So I, I know a lot of people, I, I often think that on an allotment, if you look at it in times gone by, who would have been the, the husband, the old man who went up to the allotment and grew all his prized vegetables <clears throat> and took them home to his wife and she would cook them and make wonderful things with them. It was very stereotypical, but it's how it used to be. Well, I do everything in that respect i grow everything from seed i plant everything i grow everything i water everything i feed everything i harvest everything and then i come in and i process everything or i cook everything so that entire job is my is down to me why why do i do that because i 
want decent food. I, I want food that is not, that hasn't been sprayed, that hasn't been grown in dubious circumstances, that hasn't had weed killer anywhere near it, even in the margins of the fields. Um, and I want, I want the best food that I can have, really. And I think, and you know, what I bring in from the garden is top quality food it really is and I often say you know you wouldn't get well you would have to pay a lot of money in a decent restaurant to get the type the quality food that we eat here and that's a fact and and I try to encourage as many people as I can to grow their own food uh, I do I, I blog I've blogged for years and I the reason I started was actually because some hilarious things happened when we first came here some some tragic things not so hilarious um but some hilarious stories and a friend said do you know you really should write these down um so that's what I started doing I, I did that I started that about 10 years ago um writing things down and uh, you know sometimes along the way I got a bit lost in 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 the blogging but on the whole it is it's a diary blog and it it's a day-to-day life of of what happens here um, I'm like, one day somebody, I, I do have readers, but one day I'm thinking, one day maybe it's a catalogue, a catalogued snippet of life, you know, that somebody might read in about 300 years' time. I think that's what life was like in the old days. Who knows? Um, but why? Well, I, yeah, as I said, I like, I want my food to be nutritious. You know, we, the, the fact that there is no nutrition left in the soils is sad and it's it's a case of you can't keep taking something out all the time without replenishing it so that's a bit about it that there's the nutrition side of it um and taste of course because if you've grown your own you will know that the taste of it far superior to anything you get um, in a supermarket, which often has been picked before it's ripe, um, stored for however many weeks, and then released. And uh, there's just nothing else that tastes like a carrot pulled freshly from the from the earth or a sun ripened tomato. Nothing at all. The next part of my why is something that developed as we went along really um and that's food security and that's really become apparent now in the last year uh or so with the pandemic um I, I i suppose i kind of had a a prepper head for a few years you get into it and then the more you get into it the more you realize that actually food security is really important and then you become kind of a prepper and I don't mean I've read a lot of things about prepping and I don't have a bug out bag or or anything like that not here in rural Oxfordshire but you do then think right how can I preserve all this food just in case just in case there's a problem either man-made or nature-made or something and lo and behold Last year, along came, or the year before, along came a, p- a pandemic. And suddenly, food, food security 
was an issue. Um, but of course, I was feeling very smug because we had chest freezers full of food uh, and, and a store cupboard full of things that I'd uh, made, you know, jams and chutneys and or, or things I'd dried, beans and herbs. And so I was, I was feeling pretty smug, I have to say. Um, but I do think food security is important and not just for the individual, individual, but for as an island, I think more should be looked at as regards to food security in the UK on the whole. Uh, I, I think we should be importing a lot less and using a lot more of the resources that we have available here to feed the people who live here. That's that's what I think. And that's you can put that into even locally i think people should be you know they should buy local um eat local and seasonal seasonal is one of my big things as well i mean don't get me wrong i like coffee and i like bananas um and i like avocados and so i do have those i'm not a purist i do have those things i do buy those things but what i try not to do is buy foods that are not in season otherwise, you know? So we eat, you know, we try, I try to, if it's not something I can grow, and there are things I have tried and failed miserably at, um, I will eat, I will buy them, and but I do try to make sure that they are seasonal foods um, and not something that is being grown out of season, um, and shipped over or freighted over in any form um, like that. So food security is is a big issue, I think, and it's not really one that's addressed terribly well, uh, and it really should be. The next one kind of leads on to that, and it's self-reliance. And um, so self-sufficiency and self-reliance are slightly different things. Um, self-sufficiency, when I went into it I, again I wanted this all or nothing so I wanted to be self-sufficient in everything possible uh, so we never had to go to the shop ever and buy anything ever again well that's not something that is achievable to be fair uh, so I would now say we are self-sufficient-ish because I will grow or produce a, as much as I can um but I can't do everything and I can't grow everything. We don't have the climate here. In fact, you know, anybody will know that the British talk about the weather more than anything else ever. It's it's the main thing you say when you first meet somebody. Um, it's the thing we complain about. It's, you know, we open the curtains in the morning. It's the first thing we look at because our weather is, let's face it, all over the place it's it is shockingly all over the place and that I mean I think a lot of that is climate change it's been it wasn't it was more settled 12 years ago when we came here and now we I find that it's it's not it's definitely not settled we, you know it's June end of June and we have overcast and threaten of rain and it's not particularly warm and then we either go from days and days of torrential rain to days and days and literally it switches just like that days and days of wall-to-wall blue sky where it's blazingly hot and um, the vegetables 
you know, fruit and vegetables struggle to cope with those fluctuations in the weather all the time. Back to self-reliance. Self-reliance uh, follows on, really, from self-sufficiency. And that, I think, is something a lot of people have lost these days. Um, being self-reliant basically is that, relying on yourself to achieve what it is you need to achieve, whether that is uh, growing your own food or building something you need to build or making something you need to make. That's all part of self-reliance. Years ago, obviously, we probably would have walked to the next town, to the market to buy stuff. We don't do that anymore. As I say, we're not purist, purist. We do, you know, hopefully he's out in his, his van every day doing his day job but there is a there is a whole side of self-sufficiency that calls on you to be self-reliant um in a lot of things so that's that's another thing that we factor in and it is is part of our daily life really it's um it's self-reliant so that's so the whys are nutrition food security and self-reliance and um you know the first one is fairly self-explanatory the the second two have definitely come into their own in the last year and a half during the pandemic and um as i said i felt quite smug about that uh, <laughs> which uh, which was really annoying for my husband because he used to say to me you know you're always banging on about some sort of apocalypse well you know they are out there and they do come. And uh, that's why I felt really smug. And we've done the what and the why. Um, fairly bits of why. This run really is how. How does it work on a daily basis? Well... When we first came here 12 years ago, I was working part-time, um, but it soon became apparent that looking after five acres and 100 chickens and some horses, the dogs, the cats, and all the paraphernalia that we've got here was actually, and growing all the veg, uh, was a full-time job. So, um, so I gave up my part-time job. And I, this is my job, really. Um, people don't often see it as a job. It's, it is a lifestyle, but it is a job. Um, and I suppose my income is the food that we eat. That is my contribution to our life. Um, and I, and I do feel that I feel that, you know, that is, well, it's a very, as far as I can concerned, it's a valuable contribution, um, Obviously, we still have to go and buy top-up bits. We've never had a house cow, which I would have liked, but uh, over the years, there's a reason why some things I can't manage, which I'll probably come to in a different podcast entirely, um, but there's a reason why some things I can't do um, because at times I don't have the energy and I'm not well enough to do them, so... Though I would have liked a house cow to um, for milk and cheese and butter and all those wonderful things, 
we don't have one so <coughs> so we do have to get those things in but i think that's mostly it. i mean i make bread um and we've got our own eggs it's just the dairy really that we don't have available here i as i said i'm here all the time it's hard to get away from a small holding but as our daughters have got older i mean when we first came here two of them were still living with us and so we could go away as they've you know got older and left home and had families of their own that becomes more difficult but they do come and stay you know we we have to plan it in advance but they do they will come and stay for the week or even two weeks if necessary and take over looking after the place which they you know they do a fantastic job of um and it does give us the ability to be able to go away i'm actually stood here recording this looking out of the pan i'm on fox watch and when when i was recording the last bit i put it down just to do the interlude and uh i looked across and i thought is that a fox and i and I came out and yes, there's a fox. It's what four o'clock in the afternoon and it's eyeing up my chickens. So I been down to the edge of the paddock with a big stick shouting, uh, trying to get the dogs to chase it. But we've been having a bit of a fox problem here um, for the last month now and we can't really afford to lose any more chickens. As I say, we've got, we've got about, uh, I try to think, 60-odd chickens. We did have over 100 Um the fox has had quite a few in the last month um we can't and we can't really afford to lose any more the reason we have that many chickens is because we sell the eggs at the gate and along with some of the produce that uh, you know if there's too much produce for us to use then we will sell it on and i i like being able to introduce customers to the real taste of fruit and veg and uh, often i like to introduce them to new things as well i know I, I each year i will try and grow something i've never grown before um last year it was yakon um i haven't appeared this year sadly but but i grew yakon last year and that was quite successful actually i, I have to give that another go sometime and actually i quite like the taste of the yakon tubers they're quite nice and um this year i've got ochre and i have grown that before it grows very well here in the uk and uh hopefully i'll be able to put some of that out and i it's nice and I'll, often i will put something out with a recipe as well i'll print out a recipe and put that out there just to get people to try try different things things that they might not have tried before um i think that's all part of a of a food journey as well you 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 discover these wonderful tastes and you just really want to share them with everybody um and that gives me an opportunity to say to people you know put it out there and put it out for sale and say look try this this is this is wonderful this is great stuff. Uh, yeah, so back to the how this place works. Well, as I said, we're on we're we're five acres. It's not a massive amount, and to be honest, a lot of the paddocks are for our wonderful horses who are busy eating off everything at the minute. They are actually restricted at the minute because you can imagine the with the rain that we've had, the grass is nice and lush, and uh, that's not good for the horses. Um, they will get way too fat actually we've got a horse and a half because we've got a little shetland pony called biscuit who who really does need to be restricted at this time of year but jack also is quite tubby he's actually our daughter's horse um but since she had her first child 
uh, five years ago and she's now had twins as well. She uh, hasn't been able to ride him, so he doesn't get the exercise, so he can't get out on all that grass. So he does have to be restricted. The, um, so a lot, of the, a lot of the grass will be left to grow long as standing hay, what I'd call standing hay. I mean, these days people do an awful lot of machinery work, cut, you know, they cut the grass, they bale the grass, and then they get the bales in and then they take it back out to the horses. Well, we tend to leave our grass growing. Um, it dies off naturally, and then the horses go out on it over winter and they feed themselves. So we don't have to trawl it in and out everywhere. We're certainly not using um, petrol to to uh cut the hay and things like that i think for me that's a that's a good uh a good way to do things it, uh, it's not going to suit everybody but it suits us fine um the chickens mostly uh john looks after now i used to do it all but uh as i said i i, I get to the stage sometimes where my hands just don't work very well <laughs> and uh they I can't. I have difficulty holding heavy buckets of feed, and so he mostly does the chickens now. The ducks. We've got ducks as well. We've got around uh, twenty twenty odd ducks. Um, people like duck eggs, and I like ducks. Ducks are great. They they are um, dirty, messy. Give them a bowl of water, and they will make the biggest mud pie you've ever seen. But they're funny. They're they're lovely. And the geese. Then the geese are my favourite, I have to say. They are my favourite. John does not like the geese. But I love the geese. They're just uh, they're great. And they, and they graze grass all the time. That's what they do. Uh, there's no chance of them ever keeping it all down. They're, they're, um, they're out there. Now we lost... There are... I can see five of them from here. They're, we lost two to the fox the other week. Uh, so that was a bit of a shame. One of them, the gander as well. So that's a bit sad. But um, And then we've got... A quail because uh, there are a few people who like quail eggs and when we came here I never started off with the intention that I was going to sell things at the farm gate that was never the intention um, but as it was you find that when you've you know you get a, you've got a few hens and then suddenly you've got more eggs than you need so then you kind of give them to family um, and then family's friends say, oh, well, we wouldn't mind some. So then you really do have to start charging because, you know, it's costing you money to feed them and, and everything else. And then eventually more and more people say, oh, we'd like some nice fresh eggs, you know, and our, our chickens are uh, free to roam, I would call them. We're not allowed to call them free range because that's part of the industry terminology and we're not allowed to call them that. So they are free to roam and they really do roam wherever they want to, including across the road to next doors, in next in the other paddocks behind us, in the fields behind us, every, anywhere they want. So they are truly free to roam birds, really. And uh, But as I said, we never really started. You know, my idea was a few little hens to keep so that we've got eggs and a few veg. And it kind of just um, snowballed, I guess, is what you'd say. It snowballed. Uh, to the point that it almost became out of control um, and I was running around like a wailing banshee trying to get everything done. So over the last couple of years, we've kind of scaled back a bit now to something more realistic. Um, 
that, that I can manage on a day-to-day basis when there's nobody else to do it for me. So uh, that's that's kind of the how. And we, you know, we just we we live uh, we live our best life, as they would say. It's um it it's a fantastic life to live. And uh, I dread the day when we look at it and think we are too old to be getting to do this we're too frail because um I really won't want to move um anywhere else but at the minute and that's that's the how really that's how we go about our day-to-day life um so I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast it's a bit of a ramble I have to say it's my first one I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be saying but as I said it it's it's us, it's real, it's true, it's warts and all. And um, as time goes on, you will see it's warts and all. Well, you've already seen one of our, and, you know, I have to ward off an intruder today before I lose any more birds and that's the reality of it really. So I look forward to uh, talking to you next time and uh, I'll let you know a little bit more about everything else. Bye-bye.